All right, we are continuing in our study of Lucifer. So has anyone bumped into anyone this week and gone, hey, what are you learning at your church? And they go, we're studying the devil. And you go, us too. I haven't had that occasion yet. So I have had quite a few questions, you know, but uh, hold on. That's an especially especially great taste right there because, you know, here with you, it's great. Hold on. Oh, man. There's almost heaven West Virginia, but there's almost heaven coffee in church. Anyway, the first couple of weeks we looked at uh, angels and their origins and their characteristics. And now we're going to turn our full attention on Lucifer. Ah, man, I like that. Thank you. I I really hoped I'd get a... (gasps) That was great. It's almost as good as some of you when I pulled out the Satanic Bible. Some of you... Leaned back like I was going to touch you with it or something. <laughs> you know, oh, is he supposed to have that? Why isn't he wearing oven mitts? Anyway, but now we're going to turn our full focus on the individual that is Lucifer. We're going to get to know him a little bit better. We're going to better understand uh, who he is, why he is. And part of it, too, is the outcome in which awaits him. We were talking in Sunday school, and can I just say, honey, you know I don't say this very often, but you guys don't listen. I'm talking to my bride right now. I crushed it in Sunday school. We had a great Sunday school class in here. I'm not saying the others weren't good, Josh. Don't, don't. But in here, man, in here it was a walk-off grand salami, let me just say. But we talked about the anatomy of sin, and and Lucifer is the father of sin. And we talked about the influence that he can have, the power that he possesses. And one of the individuals in Sunday school, one of the things they have learned during this study is that perhaps they have overcredited Lucifer with authority and power. And that is something I think a lot of people do, both inside the church and outside the church. You know, we sing, and, and when we listen to the words, listen, God has no equal. Lucifer is not an equal, and we need to be constantly mindful of that. And so that's a part of the purpose of this study. So let's get going. Let's look at the traits of Lucifer. In a little bit of a review, we see that he, like other angels, possesses intelligence. Lucifer's smarter than us. I just haven't accessed my full potential yet. Wouldn't it be great if we could just download? When oh, man, how do I fix this? Well, just YouTube download. Uh, and then emotions, they have emotions, and they have a will. They have a choice. Someone asked, they said, well, is it, is it really fair that God created Lucifer with a will so that he could choose to rebel and thus introduce sin? Well, my friends, can I ask you this? Can you be forced to love someone? Now, before you shake your head, you could be forced to submit. You could be forced to obey. But can you truly force someone to love, genuinely, in a biblical sense, love someone? The answer is no. You can't force that. Love is a choice. Love is a gift. 
And love is something that has to be diligently guarded every day, like I said in a wedding recently. And he had that, he has that, but guess what? He chose something different than love. And we're going to talk about that a little further down the road. So is it fair that God gave Lucifer a free will? Yes, it is fair. Why? Well, you have one too. Do you know what you call someone who doesn't have a choice? A slave. We don't have those. God doesn't have those. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I so choose to be. I know the road less traveled. I know from where I've come, and I know the pathway back to it. But I shall shall not go back. Every day I choose. And so... That's free. It doesn't cost you extra. Now, here's three things that Lucifer does not, nor any other angelic host, possess. They do not have all knowledge. They are not omniscient. Only God knows everything. Do they know a lot of things? Yes. Do they know everything? No. He is not omnipresent. There's one Lucifer. He's in one place at one time. And we joked in Sunday school he may have been here last Sunday afternoon, but it's a whole different story. Yeah, you got to come to Sunday school if you want that story. See, I teach on levels. Thirdly, he is not omnipotent. That means he doesn't have all the power. God is all-powerful. Lucifer is not. In fact, it might be inferred that the only power Lucifer has in your life is the power that you give him. So with that understood, let's look. A.W. A. Tozer gave us this quote, and I love it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can't handle me. I like that right there. devil can't handle me. I, why do I hear Ronnie McKinney's voice in that statement? He's got judo I've never heard of. I love that. He's got judo I've never heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I am joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. So I hear Ronnie's voice And then I hear uh, um, the Hulk. He can't handle, you know. No, that's, that's anyway, never mind. I'm going down a slippery slope. Satan's traits. First, Satan stood at the zenith of God's creation, filled with wisdom and perfect in beauty. Let's look what Ezekiel describes him. You have had the seal of perfection. Perfection, let's say that word, shall we? Perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the onyx, jasper, turquoise, the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created. They were prepared. Now there's a few stones in there that you may not be familiar with, so I wanted you to get a nice little look at it. Look at how, look how gorgeous those are. Look how gorgeous those are. Verse 14, and you were an, an anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Ladies and gentlemen, If you buy the lie that one day when I reach the pinnacle of whatever it is, I'll be happy. Lucifer wasn't. If you think, 
One day when I reach the pinnacle of my job, one day when I reach the pinnacle of physical beauty, one day when I reach the pinnacle of sports, athleticism, and I'll be happy. My friends, Lucifer had everything God had to give him. He was the top rung of the ladder. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Brothers and sisters, I say this to you because it is true. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy the heart of man short of Jesus Christ. Lucifer, who had it all, still didn't have what he needed. Satan had an unparalleled covering. The dazzling description of his dress or his robe indicates some, something of his glory. Can you imagine what he looked like? He was the worship leader. That's why they say the devil always falls out of the choir loft. Now, see, I can't say that anymore because not everybody knows what a choir loft is. But can you imagine what he must have? I mean, it, I think it's almost impossible for us to grasp. If you're wondering, still good. Satan had unparalleled habitation. He was in the presence of God in, in Eden, you know, whether it was whatever the location was. He had, he had everything. He had everything. Yet he couldn't withstand his own pride. Let's look at the names quickly. In addition to providing names and titles of Satan, the Bible uses various metaphors to metaphors, metaphors. That sounds like something that you have at breakfast. Ah, oh, yeah, I'll have a side of metaphors. Yeah, it does. Can I have some gravy on them metaphors? The Bible uses metaphors. My country slipped out to reveal the character of the enemy. Let's look at a few. Jesus. In the parable of the four soils, likened Satan to the birds that snatched up the seeds on the, hollow, on the hardened ground. Every time I teach about the Lord, every time I give an invitation, those seeds fall on some sort of soil, and Jesus gives the, indica the indication that the adversary comes and wants to dust them off as quickly as he can. He doesn't want them to take root. In another parable, Satan appears to be a sower of weeds among the wheat. Does anyone have, I've got some weeds in my front yard, and they shall not die. I mean, I've done everything but dig them up. Maybe that's the answer. We had some utility guys come through doing something the other day, and thank God one of the places they had to dig was right there at one of them weeds. I was like, take that weed. <clears throat> I take my victories where I can get them. Satan is an allegory to a wolf in John 10 and a roaring lion in 1 Peter. Satan is the great dragon, the serpent of old, obviously refers to the serpent who deceived Eve. Satan may be called the archangel of the evil angels. He's the boss. He's the El Jefe. I'm half bilingual. He is the top rung of the ladder. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm actually half bilingual in about six languages. Listen, if you can't have fun at church, we shouldn't even have fun. Even in his presence, excuse me, even in his fallen presence, he remains to have a great deal of power. That is true. We're not saying that he's not. And, and brothers and sisters, let me say this. 
Don't take for granted what you think your adversary is. When you underestimate your adversary, that's when you're in trouble. Thus he is called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Second Corinthians says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, I want, let me unpack this just a second. I'm going to have you home before the Cowboys play, okay? But listen to me. <clears throat> the unregenerative heart does not have to be fought for. It just has to be continually blinded. And you say, oh, Jimmy, listen to me. I nearly missed heaven standing so close to it that my breath fogged up the glass. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven was pressed up against my nose, but I was blinded in part by the adversary. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. I had wonderful people teach me, yet I did not hear. I had wonderful people lead me, yet I did not see. I heard people sing about Jesus. I sang about Jesus, Ronnie with tears streaming down my eyes, sitting in the middle of my bed in my apartment, wondering, how can I be so alone? I was this close to heaven, but I was blinded. Why? I have an adversary, but praise God. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. My friends, our world is blinded today. Ephesians says this, as for you, who? Me. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. My friends, you either are dead in your trespasses and sin or you're alive in Jesus. That's the two parts. Praise God, I was blind and dead, but now I live and see all day, every day, and unashamed of it. In which you used to live, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed what? The ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in you, those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them at one time, Gratifying the craving of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the rest, we were nature-driven. My friends, that is me. God could have written that about me. Now, I don't know you. But for me, that was me. That's me. John records him as the evil one. His evil character indicated in this title pervades the entire world under his control. Can we all agree, politics aside, our world just seems crazy? I'm not kidding you. I don't know if you know this, but they have a couple of locations in uh, Uganda right now that Ebola, they've, they've closed down due to Ebola again. E everywhere, you just turn on the TV, turn it to anything close to news, and you're just going to shake your head. So, <clears throat> if the adversary is powerful and he prevails in an evil world, the question begs to be answered is this. Can I be possessed? Can I, 
Can I be taken over? Lots of TV shows will give you that. Some people even claim that when they're in court. The devil made me do it. Remember what I told you? The devil didn't make you do it. He may have led you to it, but he didn't make you do it. So we want to answer the question today, can I, can you be possessed by the devil? The first thing is there's a difference between being possessed and being oppressed. Two different things, okay? First, demon possession involves having a direct and complete control over thoughts and actions. That's when they take up residence. That's when they own you. That's when they control what you think, what you do, what you say, where you go. Does that happen? Yeah, it does happen. You say, Jimmy, have you been around somebody possessed? There's three times in my 35 years I have been in the presence of people that I truly believe were demon-possessed. One of them threw themselves off an overpass before I got to meet them. And all that man wanted to do was talk about Jesus. He just, and, and, and you know, we'd talk and I'd share. And, you know, I know this is going to cause another whole discussion. I don't have time to unpack it right now. But I'd say, man, just pray with me. And, and he would pray with me. And when we got to the name Jesus, it wasn't coming out of his mouth. It was, the, and he would cry and shake. It was, anyway, so only three times in my life have I been in the company of people that I, I, I truly felt were demon-possessed. I believe it's more rare than, than TV and movies make it out to be. Now, demon oppression or influence involves the attacking of a person spiritually and encouraging them into sinful behavior. I think this happens more often than we know. We, we, are, we are invited down the primrose path of sin and told, oh, hey, it'll never happen to you. We talked about that in the last hour. Oh, it's only wrong if I get caught. You know, those kind of things. So demon oppression does occur. So now you're wanting to know, well, Jimmy, I, I'm a Christian. What about me? That's a great question. Ephesians 1 says this. Now, I could have just taught on this one verse, Ronnie, but I didn't. So let me get on with it. <clears throat> in him, who? God. Jesus Christ. In him. How do you get in him? By faith through grace. You have also listened to the meaning of truth. What truth? God's truth. The word. The gospel of your salvation, having also believed. How is it that I'm saved? You believe what? In the gospel. Having, been, having believed, you were sealed in him. Now, that's an important word right there. So at the point of your salvation, in that moment where you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he places his stamp of salvation on you, God the Holy Spirit indwells you. You now have two natures. You have God's spirit and your spirit. And guess what? They're going to do this. But the Bible goes on. He says what? With the Holy Spirit of the promise... He seals you with the Holy Spirit of the promise. What's the promise? The, the Spirit is God's guarantee. Here's a question. How much do you trust God to do what he says he's going to do? How good's a guarantee? Have you ever bought something in a store and you walked away and they said, oh, hey, this is guaranteed. You're like, yeah, whatever. 
My dad likes to give an Oklahoma guarantee. That's, that's if it breaks in half, you get to keep both halves. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, by the promise of God to do what? To deliver us. That he will give us the inheritance he promised and that who? He has purchased. He has purchased. My friends, God has sealed you as a promise to deliver you to his inheritance for you. So the question comes down to this. How much do you trust God? He purchased us to be his people and he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. The question is this. Can a believer, can a true biblical disciple of Jesus Christ be possessed by the devil? My friends, I believe the biblical answer is no. Because if the adversary can overcome the promise and the seal of God, then my friends, we really don't have that great of God. Remember, God is all-powerful. He is not. Can you be influenced? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen the devil come to church. I've seen the devil go to youth camp. I've seen the devil go a lot of places. What's that? Yeah. But a believer cannot be possessed. I think I would be absolutely liable if I didn't ask this question at this point. Has there ever been a time and a place in your life where you personally trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior? I'm not talking about what your grandma did. I'm not talking about sitting in the third deck at a, at a Billy Graham crusade. I'm talking about has there ever been a time, has there ever been a place where you spoke to God with all of your heart and said, Lord, today, right now, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You're a Savior seeking sinners, and I want you. I need you. Have you done that? Acts 3.19 says this, Repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Have you done that? If you haven't, guess what? You get an opportunity right now. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you that question. We're not talking about church membership. We're not talking about tithing. We're not talking about nothing other than this. Have you met Jesus on his terms? And have you received him as your Savior so that one day heaven will be your home and that you can have everything that he has for you in this life? Have you done that? If you have not, my friends, today is the best day. The Bible says, for today is the day of salvation. Yesterday is history and tomorrow's a hope. You don't know if you'll get there. And my friend, the grave will keep us where it finds us. Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not? And if not, then how about today? You say, Jimmy, I don't even know how I would do that. Well, it's really quite simple. It's as easy as A, B, C. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We all fall short of God's perfection. We have to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, the sinless son of God who gave his life, not for his sin, but for your sin, and that on the third day God raised him from the dead, and then you have to confess him to be your savior. 
If it were me here today, much like I was 35 years ago, I would whisper a prayer from my heart to his. It's not the prayer that saves you. The Bible says that by, by grace, for by grace are you saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not the prayer, it's the faith. I would whisper something like this from my heart to God's heart. And if it's your desire, you can whisper this from your heart to his as well. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And there's nothing I can do to save myself. I confess my complete helplessness to forgive my own sin or to work my way to heaven. At this moment, I trust Jesus alone as the one who bore my sin when he died on the cross. I ask for forgiveness only you can afford and ask your son Christ Jesus to be my savior. Help me to know and to love you more day by day and give me a home in heaven one day when my life on earth is through. My friends, the Bible gives you this promise that if that's your heart's cry and if you have cried from your heart to the heart of God that this moment God's Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside you, that the promises of his word, every single one of them, are yours to have and to enjoy. And you are walking out of here differently than when you walked in. Let me pray over us. Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray for each and every one under the sound of this invitation. Lord, for those who have received you today, I say amen. Lord, for those that are still wrestling with that decision, Lord, I say amen. Lord, bless them in their wrestling. But Lord, cause them not to tarry, for the hour grows late. Father, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you made that decision today, I would be honored for you to share that with me. Or if you have questions about that or anything else, somebody jumped ahead of me. You're going to be standing there a minute, bro. You can text me. <laughs> One more thing. If you're a believer, you need to wrestle. Tanya, I knew you'd like that. Ephesians 6 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. My friend, your problem is not against Joe. It's against the spirit behind Joe. We're, stay there, Andrew. He's going to have to stand there a minute. <clears throat> but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Friends, don't hate the person. Hate the sin. Listen to me. Before you knew Jesus, guess what? But someone loved you. Lucifer's names. Is he sitting down? Okay. Satan is used about 52 times in Hebrew. It means the adversary or the opposer. Do you have an adversary? You do. His name is Lucifer, and he hates you. Secondly, devil is used 35 times in the Greek. It stands for diablos. Once again, I am half bilingual. 
meaning the slanderer. Listen, you think people can put their mouth on you on Facebook? Just wait till the adversary does it. And let me say this. That's why we must strive to live above reproach because we have an adversary who all he wants to do is slander you. You don't have to be guilty these days, ladies and gentlemen. You just have to be accused. That's why it is imperative for all of us, beginning with myself, to strive to live above reproach. He was a serpent in his first presentation to humanity. He is deceptive as a great, excuse me, he is depicted as a great red dragon in Revelation. One of his activities is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation says. <clears throat> the authority of, of Christ, he came for the accuser of the brethren. Guess what he accuses you of? Everything in your past. Do you ever have that? Do you ever feel that sometimes? You're like, man, why am I still feeling bad about that? It's under the blood. God forgave me. Because you have someone who accuses you. Have you I, I, hopefully, you've never had a, a, a cross-examination. But he stands there. One day, one day, I believe he'll stand before God. He'll say, yeah, Jimmy Vaughn, you remember him. You remember when he was 18, he started his own religion. <clears throat> you remember that, Jimmy? And I'll have to go. Yeah, what did you call it? Jimmyism. I wasn't that creative in my marketing scheme. And what was, what was the tenets of Jimmyism? If it's good for me, it's good. And he'll say, God, why would you let him in your heaven? He deserves to be with me. But thank God. The man in the middle says he's with me. Woo. Mm, good. Satan is also known as the tempter in Genesis. So that Josh didn't have to wait any longer. He's also, <laughs> the tempter seems to sound just true enough. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest tragedies is an unlearned church. Because the adversary always brings his offerings and they sound just true enough. Man, that, that kind of sounds right. I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again because it fits here. I lost fellowship with a brother. Go figure. Over what, Jimmy? The unshakable doctrines of the church? No. Because he liked OU? No. Uh-uh. Oh, it's, it, Ron, it's just almost unbearable, the weight. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because the little drummer boy is not in the Bible. I'm glad you can laugh at my hurt. Now, listen to me. I watch that show when it comes on. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum. I love baby Jesus, and I'm glad the ox and the sheep could keep time. But brothers and sisters, it's not in the Word. It is not a biblically historical event. doesn't mean it's not a good show. But I actually had a brother. A brother, not a lost man. Do you know why? 
Because the little drummer boy sounds just true enough. Now, I wasn't trying to pick a fight. Not that I'm not above that. But it comes up, and, and it's presented as in the Bible. Well, you know, I kind of have to defend the Bible. You see, the adversary comes to the believer, and it sounds just true enough. Hmm. Secondly, he tempts us with counterfeit promises and dishonest rewards under an authority that he does not possess. Have you ever had someone offer you something that they didn't have the authority to offer you? You go, oh, well, I'll take that. And their manager goes, well, I'm sorry, that's not there for them for them to give you. My friends, you have an adversary who offers what isn't his to offer. And what he offers isn't true. Our world gropes in the darkness trying to find the promises that only the Lord can bring. But they keep groping. You know why? Because it sounds just true enough. And there's this promise. Man, one day when I'm the CEO, one day when I have the perfect marriage, One day, one day, one, you know, just fill it in. One day. Well, my friends, we've already, we've already, one day doesn't work. Lucifer had every day, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. The name Beelzebub designates Satan as the chief of demons. Some of the adversaries of Christ accused him. And he was casting out a mute demon. When the demon had gone out, the man who was previously unable to speak talked. I'm sorry, casting out a demon from a mute. And the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, speaking of Jesus, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Do you know why? Our world is in the condition that it is. It's because we have an adversary who has talked the world into believing that the very person who gave his life to save the world is the very person who works for the one who seeks to destroy the world. Have you ever thought about that? The Jews, in the time of Jesus... The ones who were looking for the Messiah. The ones entrusted to lead and to guard and to identify the Messiah. Watched him. Heard testimony of him. And they said, oh, he works for the devil. Welcome to our world. The very Messiah that stepped out of heaven into this mess, lived a sinless life, resisted temptation, went to a cross unjustifiably for my sin. 
and for the sin of every living human being on the face of this planet, past, present, and future, as long as he tarries. And on the third day, God validated him. This world accuses him of so many things. Why? We have an adversary. And he makes it sound just true enough. And we have brethren who act just bad enough. I've told you before and I'll say it again. One of the reasons I beg God to let me finish my race the way he would be glorified in it is because there's an adversary. And I don't want to give the world another excuse. Oh, look, another pastor fill in the blank. I don't want to be that guy. I, whatever it is, I don't want to be that guy. I beg God that he would take my life before I become that guy. I don't want to give the devil another toehold. I don't want to give you another black eye. I don't want to give you a reason to walk in your mission field on Monday morning and they go, oh, is that your pastor? Well, I heard. Do you know why? Because there's a world full of people outside these windows that need Jesus. And I am pushing hard as best I can against the adversary. I'm just one guy. But I'm going to do my best. But you know what? We all have that responsibility. Each and every one of you sitting in this room today have a mission field. And you're going you're gonna to enter into it in about 15 minutes. And there's an adversary out there, and he would love to make you an excuse. Guess what? You have enemies that would love to make you an excuse. And um, sometimes you might even have friends. They would love for you to be their excuse. I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm thankful for that. But I want to live a life in such a way as best I can to not add to the adversary's marketing plan. And I want to encourage you to take deathly serious your life in your mission field. Lives depend on it. They really do. One day, sooner than later, God's going to finish his promise to us, Ronnie. The Bible says that as a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Heaven is our home. For by grace are you saved through faith. One day, God, God has delivered us from the power of sin. Can the devil influence me? Well, unfortunately. Can he make me do it? Uh-uh. There's no room in the end, baby. He's delivered me from the penalty. He's delivered me from the power. And one day, he will deliver me from the very presence of sin. One day, heaven. Amen. Until then, let's be found faithful. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being called your children. Father, we thank you for the cross and an empty tomb. Father, we thank you that we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Father, we thank you that through your presence and by our purposing, Lord, we can be free of the power of sin. And Father, we thank you that one day heaven. But between now and then, Father, help us to see our mission field like never before. Lord, we have an adversary. And Lord, just as we once were blind and dead in our trespasses, so is so many in our world. Lord, help us to live and to love and to serve and to share a pure gospel. Lord, that will overcome, overcome the lies of the enemy. And Father, help us to glorify you and not becoming an excuse to the world. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that our relationship with you affords us. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your purposes in this time of humanity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Our returning Messiah, Christ the Lord. Amen.